Hey guys, welcome to this episode of LiquidiCast. It's been a little while since we had our last episode. I'm joined here today by Thomas Euler and Jonas Rubel, and I'm Ron, of course. Uh, we're your three hosts on LiquidiCast. Um, as I mentioned, it's been a little while since we've kind of gathered and had a LiquidiCast. Um, we've been hard at work. There's been a lot of stuff behind the scenes going on, and I think uh, we actually want to take this podcast as an opportunity to share with you guys some of the inner workings and inner machinations that we've been working on here at Liquidity Team, um, one of which includes a new brand, a new identity. Uh, we have an NFT bridge, which Thomas will Thomas and Jonas will talk about. So those are just some, some quick teasers. And on that note, Thomas, thanks for joining me. Jonas, thanks for joining me. I'll pass it over to you, Thomas. Just uh, how have you guys been, man? What's going on? Yeah. We, like you said, we've been pretty busy in the last in the last weeks. I mean, we're always pretty. We have a lot on our plate, but we are working to to bring some good stuff out. One is like you already mentioned, more a, a branding thing that we did, but we felt like we really had to to give our core product, which is now called Unify. But those of you who have been around for a while might remember the name LT Fan Platform. We didn't really think it was a good product name, so so now. We turned it into its own standalone product brand called Unify, and that is, I guess, more or less what we what we have to say about it now. If you go to Unify.io, you will uh, see uh, everything that we do with the Unify platform, and uh, I think that is a cool step forward for for this specific product. And of course, it means that in the in this like con consumer facing or facing our customers, liquidity will be more in the background as a brand. But this year, at least for now, is still the liquidity. So let's see if we also rebrand this podcast at some point in time. I mean, if somebody of you uh, listening to this has an opinion on this, let us know by all means. And yeah, I guess for the for the second big update, and and I think it's fair to say one of the most requested features, at least by our by our customers, by the people and organizations operating platforms, was an bridge for nfts and what exactly this is i think i will pass the ball to to jonas for an explanation into what that is but but let me tell you it's interesting because it's not necessarily something that most end users of our clients wanted to have but our 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 customers were really really keen on having this bridge in place which allows people to take their nfts uh, into different wallets on different blockchains and uh, it, it's cool to see that there is a demand in like the enterprise world and among creators to give their users this this freedom and with that said jonas probably you you want to let the people know a bit more about our our bridge sure thing um so yeah as said we're talking about an nft bridge and that allows you in the end for the end user what does it do it allows you to take your nfts from a Unify platform to uh, the Ethereum mainnet or the Polygon mainnet. And um, by that, we give operators full control, firstly, of which NFT collections do they want to make available on one of the mainnets. And on the other hand, the end user that uh, gets to transfer their NFTs if they want to transfer them out. But they can, of course, also keep them within Unify. And maybe taking a little step back, how how do NFTs work on Unify in the first place? So underneath uh, Unify, there is the liquidity mainnet, which is an Ethereum sidechain. 
And we build it on our own sidechain from day one, simply because we wanted to build a product that is suitable for the average sports fan and not the crypto enthusiast. That means we did want to abstract as much of the yeah, onboarding hassle away from the user, such as setting up a wallet and also getting crypto to own your first tokens, to get your first NFT. Um, and this we did, and this is an approach we still stand by. However, um, we all also always said that um, using blockchain under the hood allowed for interoperability, and that was the main reason um, why this is such... Um, yeah, such a great standard or such a great set of standards to build upon. And so within Unify, you get your wallet as soon as you create an account without even noticing it. Um, when you receive your first NFT, either through a giveaway or because you unlock it with tokens or buy it with cash, then it sits in your wallet. However, if you then want to transfer it or want to trade it, you have the full capacity now to transfer it to your MetaMask wallet Basically, just next to your NFT, there is a transfer button. Um, then your MetaMask will pop up and ask you if you want to verify that transfer. And after that, it sits in your wallet. And now you can go to basically any established mar marketplace, such as OpenSea, for example, connect your wallet. And uh, as soon as you do that, you will see which NFTs sit in your wallet. And you can either list them uh, so people can send you offers. You can uh, create a proper listing with a set price. And for platform operators, they also get to define uh, the revenue share that the platform operator gets um, if this NFT is traded on a secondary market or if their NFTs get traded on a secondary market. Um, as long as marketplaces respect these fees, huh? which is a whole other discussion currently. But Exactly, but at least the major ones do. And so I guess uh, volume on... On the other exchanges that don't is is very minimal, so Jonas, you'll be good. Run, Jonas. Can you just quickly clarify that or, or or linger on that a little bit longer? So when you say that um, revenue share can be can be transferred over to whatever marketplace they happen to transfer, let's just use OpenSea for example. Mm -hmm. um, let's say the the asset gets traded back and forth on OpenSea three or four times. Mm -hmm. Does this mean that the original plat platform creators or the platform operator of the L of the unify platform is he going to get a revenue share of each of those transactions exactly so you okay. get to you get to determine the revenue share with each transaction of one of these nfts let's say it's set to 10 percent for for uh, simplicity's sake now this nft is sold for 100 bucks then 10 of those in eth or polygon will be transferred to the operator's wallet automatically and if the next time it is sold for 1,000, hypothetically, then the next time it's 100 that gets transferred to the operator wallet and the remaining 90% to the person selling the NFT. So this is then handled basically on a contract level automatically. And as Thomas said, um, that is a caveat because that is something many people are not aware of. Um, these basically... NFT contracts, you get to define this revenue share, but not all marketplaces in existence do respect these. Most of the established ones do, and I guess I guess we're north of 90% of volume on OpenSea these days. But there's a few minor ones where you could theoretically circumvent this. This is just 
a yeah, and more reality of the, you have more to be of aware of. More exchanges are currently revising their, their positions on this, including, including by the way, OpenSea. So they <laughs> recently announced that uh, they will take their time until December to, to come up with like their revised policy on how they will treat um, how they will treat these uh, uh, yeah percentages. How how do you call these fees properly? Commission Sec secondary market fees. No, I'm just blanking right now. Well, anyway, so um, the the interesting thing will be to see how they behave. They already hinted at the fact that they will probably have a bit of flexibility, and some will be some will be um, followed, and some some will probably not be followed so let's see what comes out of this it's a it's a larger development but we will certainly stay a on top of it and also make sure that we can enforce like like royalties being respected as much as we can but of course the marketplace is an important important player in there as well now can i ask you something for let, let's say i was a smaller creator and um, I'm using Unify, and I start to, and I release NFTs. Um, and maybe this is a topic for its own podcast or for like a, a specialist. But like, what are like the tax implications, or, or what does the asset then become if you start to introduce royalties and commission and stuff like that? I feel like it it complicates things a little bit. Does it, or am I wrong in in, in thinking that? <sighs> So you need to know what you are what you are doing, and of course we cannot give any legal advice, and we definitely cannot give legal advice for any jurisdiction a listener might be in. So what I can definitely say is that is that is maybe the point where you should uh, talk to a to a lawyer and at the very least do your own research before you do anything anything that can go wrong. But but so the the basic premise is like royalties can really change the nature how something you sell is classified but then it really depends on how this works so as long as it get gets back to you and this might not hold true in all jurisdictions by no means but but what to to the ones we looked at as long as it's only you who creates something and you collect royalties that is a pretty standard business model that you see in many other industries right you can you can do this like it's in the ip world in the content world in the media business that is absolutely not uncommon what what is definitely uh, uh, tricky and changes the legal nature for instance but that is something we for, don't support from a product standpoint is if the person who you sell to then also gets to collect royalties because this then turns the asset certainly into into some kind of security and then uh, uh, you need to you need to know what you are doing when you issue a security and that of course comes with a whole lot of uh, compliance that uh, that goes along with it so yeah that is this. I think in the way uh, we build it in many jurisdictions, you will find that you can that you can sell NFTs and collect royalties. But uh, consult if in doubt, then consult legal advice. It's That's kind of a shame. Advice. Kind of a shame that 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 is the case because I think me as like a, a a fairly new fairly new to the Web three into like the blockchain crypto space. Um, one of like the the compelling arguments that you know a lot of crypto enthusiasts would say was that you know at some point we're going to get to the point where content can become democratized where like a community can own a piece of content or a song or a video and all of the revenue that that video generates whether it's from ads or or whatever the case sponsor sponsorships that revenue can then get spread across all of its users right 
And I think I mean, that that's was not like necessar- a- that's not necessarily wrong though. It just means you you need to have a legally compliant model of offering this. Got it. And my best bet, my best bet is that you you I guess if you look for specifically this, there are probably already companies out there solving for it, and and what you have to d- develop is essentially a a legal tech product where you take away the pain from going through all the hassle with with doing the the research on it you do it and then you build a compliant solution and then people can use it and then you put on a ui that feels that feels good no i mean you can take like like products and really build appealing ui on it think about for instance what robin hood has been doing in the investment space right really gamifying it and and turning it into a con- investing into a consumer product unlike it has ever been done before and i guess you can you can also do the same with like uh, uh, buying rights into the catalog of musicians for instance but of course then it becomes a different animal maybe because it's just catalog rights maybe it's not even necessarily a security but but that is the kind of stuff that today you certainly should uh, have legal support if you if you look into into scenarios like this yeah i guess that's that what is I just meant. the nature of the beast yeah I guess that's what I meant, though. Like, I've been hearing for years now that that that's like one of the eventual goals, at least within like the content space, within like the attention economy space. Um, I, I think it would be cool to see some, like you said, legal tech provider come around and and solve for that. Yeah, and I mean, just just generally speaking, it would also be nice to see. I mean, there is this new animal of crypto and NFTs. I mean, it's not new by any means, but to the regulators, it is fresh and um, when they take approaches of regulating the space if they could come to some sort of agreement that this could be handled in similar ways across jurisdictions because by nature this is a borderless and permissionless system um, if tax and legal uh, questions around this would be not the same but at least very similar that would make the space a lot more yeah interesting and make it easier to use. And I think that's something that would facilitate the real innovation with this and the real disruption. I mean, you also saw something... Sorry, but you saw something happening in like the, the entire Web3 space that usually doesn't happen, at least not to that extent. And that was driven by by the immense speculative bubbles we had around crypto, then the ICO craze, and then to an extent, even the, the NFT craze. And I, I think usually in technology, there is time for people to build products, to figure out experiences, business models, before there is enough awareness by, by regulators, by lawmakers, by the legal community to, to get into this topic and defy rules. And now we are in an interesting spot in crypto and, and Web3 and blockchain, of course, not in all jurisdictions, because again, that is like countries or jurisdictions move independently and then uh, uh, maybe y- you see some efforts to create hom- more homogenized uh, uh, frameworks, uh, for instance, within the European Union. But but you had very early in the in the process of this technology, regulators coming in and defining rules. But then some of these rules are of course overly generalized, and they don't take into account different use cases. So speaking, of course, as like a company CEO and not as a legal expert. But but what I can tell you, for instance, is that there are certain 
certain uh, movements towards saying, hey, all NFTs should be should be uh, uh, classified as securities. So you will sometimes hear these statements being being made from regulators. And to me, that is really insanity because you just take a tool that can be used to build very different things. And you want to say, hey, this tool in itself or this technology in itself is something that is like a, a financial offering, whereas we see that is not the case in the real world, right? Like if you go, go back to the basic property of having limited uh, uh, limited edition items, gas or, or unique items that you can sell, that, that basically everything in the physical goods world, the, the same applies to it. And most of the stuff being sold in the physical world is not something... Uh, that is regulated by by financial oversight bodies, but but at, at least if if they get their their will or some of these regulators get their will, then all of these things should be seen as as for instance securities or some kind of other financial instrument. Uh, even though, for instance, we talked uh, uh, before we went on the record about the World Cup and and Panini uh, uh, pictures. If you if you use NFTs to create uh, stickers of of football players, then I, I I'm pretty sure that that is not a security and or, and or at least i'm pretty sure that it should not be a security right and and even panini some people then happen to have a rare panini picture or, or baseball trading card for that matter and they sell it for five six figure amounts and and still panini tops and all the creators of these cards are not classified as as issuing security so Long story short, I think a very special environment because regulator, without having a nuanced view on the space, but even the space not having defined all these different use cases, built these use cases, implemented the business models, uh, uh, meant that you had uh, that you had to go. And we certainly did go through a lot of investing into into legal support when we built our product and uh, uh, doing this hard work because it was required. But it's also like to do your point, Ron. It is it is not necessarily the best uh, uh, the best situation for an innovative technology field. Yeah, I mean, I, I had this analogy that I wanted to say, and I'm, I'm going to say it because I've been sitting on it. <laughs> but it's like it's like essentially saying that spoons are deadly weapons because one guy like choked on a spoon and died. Like you can't say all NFTs are securities because, you know, some might act that way. But yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's some of the, some of the, the, the fear, right, of mass adoption within crypto or within blockchain. It's like um, the tax man cometh. Right, and many many people are might be fearful of that happening. But it Jonas doesn't make any. But it doesn't make any sense for them to be fearful of this uh, of this space because they won't get any any system that is more transparent than this. So when it comes to basically the yeah the financial authorities to track um yeah track transactions track value flow, um then the blockchain is basically the best thing that could happen to them. Um, there's, yeah, you have a full history of when did which asset change hands, and so therefore they they out of all should embrace it the most. I feel. Yeah, but I think so. There's like two possibilities, right? Either it's like ignorance that they don't they don't see the industry as that they don't know that that's the uh, the compelling the USP of blockchain, or the second. I mean, there's probably more possibilities, but the, a second of which is that. They do know, but because the mass audience views it as just like a speculative industry, 
the IRS or the tax man needs to treat it as such, despite the fact that it's not that. Does that make sense? Well, I mean, the tax, I, I was talking about regulation. I mean, tax is a very simple and different topic. Like, like uh, uh, t tax will apply to your digital goods as it does to your, to your physical goods. And uh, uh, that's pretty much end of the story. And then, of course, if you are in cryptocurrency, then different, different rules apply because you, do, you don't buy a good, but you, but you invest into uh, uh, or, or you buy currency or, or again there the regulations across the the globe might might differ slightly but that is pretty much solved i mean if you if you uh, uh, gain trading uh, 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 if you make profits from from buying and selling cryptocurrency then it's you basically have to treat it like you do if you do it with stocks or or other assets yeah yeah i guess what i meant was uh fair enough i mean uh tax was maybe just it's just one aspect of the regulation uh yeah. this w w my point would much rather apply to uh sec and cftc right Ex yeah. securities and exchange that's that's also what i meant i think i, I used yeah. tax as a yeah but but uh, all, all this other uh, and in this other field i mean it's unfortunate that this happened but also uh, I, i mean you have to keep in mind that like these these agencies are tasked with consumer protection and it is it is undeniable that in the in the especially the way you frame it i mean you, you probably realized we almost stopped talking about blockchain crypto and so on entirely because also it is not the industry i want us to be associated with it's also not the the product that we are building but but what is really important to to see is there is a lot of uh, uh, scamming going on there has been a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, taking it from from I mean the the poor the stupid one and then there is a, there is a, a certain mindset in the community that maybe if you find somebody who is more stupid than you and pays for your shit then that should be okay but uh, yeah there definitely you will get into conflict with the the regulators who again usually have consumer protection or investor protection I should say as their their top priority and therefore and therefore they are doing their job to an extent but then probably they are also uh, uh, in in trying to do their job overreaching be, because what they want to regulate is so fuzzy even for the industry itself because these use cases like i tried to to put it before they they first need to be built and then you can look at it what what is it specifically that you're trying to regulate and if you have language like nfts are xyz and regulated then it's very clearly unprecise i mean like you said it would be like saying a, a, a spoon is a a deadly weapon or, or maybe yeah, even or maybe better like html documents need this and this access rules but uh, in the end we're talking about different websites and some might yeah. need access restrictions and others do certainly not yeah and yeah. and th that is I, i mean if you turn it around and look at it from the other side i mean if the same logic would apply in the physical world that some some regulators want to put on the digital on the digital side then you would suddenly be at a point where where every art dealer would also be a a broker for instance or where everybody who is uh, yeah creating creating sports collectibles physical stuff you always is scarce and limited by definition then would be doing the same and that is 
that is uh, uh, would be very unpractical and it's not the reality in the world we're living in so so but i think this excursion into into the regulatory realm i don't know probably we lost uh, uh, 85% of our listeners by now thanks for those who hang on but i want to bring it back to the bridge because the bridge is i think uh, uh, Jonas explained what it enables, but what I would like to talk a bit more about uh, with you guys is what's currently happening in, in the field. What can users actually do with NFT-based digital goods? And, and what are the cool use cases you see and saw emerging lately? So everybody knows there is like Twitter, and if you have access to Twitter Blue, so here in Germany we don't, but in the US, for instance, you do, you can use your NFT as an avatar. That is neat. We also recently have Instagram in the US moving moving into the space, and now you can uh, uh, sell and, and create NFTs on, on Instagram. But, but what is the more edgy stuff that you that you saw in the Web3 world, what people uh, uh, can use and do with NFTs? I'm curious. I mean, for me, I, I could start because it's a simple answer. For me, it's a, kind of more of the same in the sense of um, we had like NFTs 1.0, right? Which is just like static images or video or, or GIFs or whatever. And then we moved into this whole idea of like NFTs with utility or NFTs with perks, NFTs with benefits. And I think it's just companies kind of expanding on that simple premise, right? Um, there's, it's companies doing cooler things or more exciting or more, more creative things in, this, in, the, in the realm of perks or benefits that users get when they own those NFTs. But I think one thing that has been <clears throat> interesting for me that I saw um, was that companies are starting to use NFTs for rewards. Um, and I, I read a Forbes article, I'll, I'll post it in the show notes um, of this episode, um, that bigger brands are starting to move toward NFTs as a solution for tracking and rewarding users for purchases, right? So like returning users, um, coupon coupon campaigns were like, or like stamp campaigns where you, you get a Boba tea five times, your six one is for free. So stuff like that where you can track purchases and then reward users based on those purchases and then you know that can all be automated through something like an nft so i think that's kind of like the usp but that's like the use case of, of where nfts falls into like the consumer the mass consumer arena yeah that's what i've seen one project that i like a ton um our co-worker phil is also one of one of these nft holders is uh, the pacemaker project and basically, the, the whole idea is they want to build a community of people that are passionate about fashion and design. Those people got an NFT. Therefore, they are part of the community. Um, the funds are then used to support upcoming fashion brands and projects. And NFT owners get to decide which projects get funded and then, by definition, get early access to the earliest releases and drops of clothing from these brands that only came into existence, or not only came into existence, but came into existence with the help of the pacemaker, basically funding community. Um, and that, like a community-based approach of uh, yeah, funding, basically it's, it has some elements of a Kickstarter project. But is it, Sorry, is this kind of like a DAO, funding? Jonas? You, you could say it's a fashion a, DAO? Yeah, pretty much. It's not, I don't think it's fully structured in that way so that... Uh, any DAO member is legally um, yeah, a decision maker and has certain voting rights. So I think they, they 
put all of this a bit more loosely. But overall, um, like there's a ton of activity in their Discord. Um, they just handed out their first, um, yeah, basically membership NFTs. And uh, the idea, hey, uh, maybe I want to join this community. Me personally, uh, I would kind of like to be in, but I don't have one. So now my option is to buy an NFT from one of the early members. And that is, I think, a really compelling use case for how you can tie together digital items with community building, with uh, decentralized decision making. And uh, if anybody of the Pacemaker project is listening, best of luck um, following closely. Kind of like piggybacking off of like V Friends. I don't know if you guys know that Gary Vaynerchuk launched this, is one of the first like NFT community access nft type projects is maybe yeah. over a year ago yeah, yeah and uh, one of the yeah. first of this nature right. i think originally the nfts were they were selling for i couldn't even tell you an amount maybe it was like a hundred bucks and i think at their peak they were going for like 15 grand or something like that but yeah the, the whole the concept of access that's something that we believe in strongly i'd say I just looked it up, by the way, they clay, uh, they call themselves the f world's first Web3 streetwear accelerator. So they, yep, accelerator, I guess, is a known model. That's really what they try to mimic here. I mean, I mean one thing that, that, that I find interesting, even though I think it is definitely going to remain edge casey, but it, but it blurs the line between different worlds from, from NFTs to collectibles to to DeFi, and I think it, what what is currently being done, which I will get to in a second, is is only the beginning. But the potential for this is kind of interesting. So so you see these constructs where people can, uh, for instance, you you have a DAO, right? A a organization. This has a certain goal and needs funding, and now people people can give their their NFTs essentially as a collateral into the DAO, and the DAO can then uh, uh, get a get a loan in some cryptocurrency based to the the value that is tied to these to these digital objects. So, so of course, there is a very traditional thing in the end, right? Because people have they have something in in the physical world, some kind of asset, and then uh, uh, they mortgage it for for a loan. Um, but, but, but I think the idea that you can now have like digital objects and they can be, can be treated in this way. And probably at some point that is not done by DAOs, but it's done by more established kinds of I institutions in our system is really interesting, right? Because so if, if that comes to fruition at a, at a larger scale, you are probably now in a, in a world where, Hey, if you, if you make it big in a, in a Say a game, for instance, right? There used to be all these people playing World of Warcraft, leveling up and collecting, and collecting stuff, big swords and so on. And and now th this could actually give you access to to a reloan because it's a known valuable commodity in this world, even though it all exists fully digital. And that might sound insane to certain people, but I think that is definitely the direction we are we are moving in and why it then makes so much sense to build digital goods on open standards that can be that can be uh, uh, used and, and moved and are inter 
interoperable across different different systems and there is like a standard how people can talk to these digital goods and that is that is also for me one of the most b bullish nft cases is that everything that will be a good in the digital economy will be using nft standards i mean uh, like you said this whole sentiment that some people would think that's crazy like oh my god a jpeg worth this much money or you know a, a digital item that you can take a loan against like it makes complete sense to me i mean when you think about the fact that some people including perhaps myself we spend more time in the digital realm than we do in the physical why shouldn't the the things i interact with in that realm have value i mean they have value to me right like the content that i consume in the digital space has more value than the content i consume in the physical space hearing my neighbor talk about you know the new tulips that they planted that has such a small effect on my on on me i value that so little while like a business podcast you know with tons of value in it like that has so much more value to me so not even just like thinking about digital assets as like digital real estate but also like the stuff that you consume i feel like just has so much value nowadays yeah. And, and, and look, I mean, what, is, what is interesting, we, we had this, uh, sorry, Jonas, we had this thing, sorry. the move to the service economy, where everything is a service. And that is cool to an extent, except that people don't anymore own stuff. And now if you can get the the best of both worlds, because like, so, so we have, this trend even continues to the physical world, right? Where now instead of owning stuff, you can uh, uh, subscribe to something and you get like the hardware on, on top of it. But if we just keep it in the, in the digital vein, so at some point you used to, you used to own your vinyl, you used to own your CD, you had it. And then you uh, had files and then you had your files. Of course, you were also in charge of backupping them. And then from uh, uh, the, the, Service economy is also a product of having the cloud, and having the cloud is definitely perfect uh, on some level from a user experience standpoint. But if you c can combine these two worlds, like the the digital uh, uh, world, but also bring back ownership, like one of the big uh, uh, promises and one of the things people have been talking in the space so long, that is actually what it could mean, right? You could own again a, a collection of stuff and stuff could increase in value versus you never own anything and you just pay all, uh, Spotify all lifelong so, so that you have access to music that is somewhere on their server. So of course, there, there there is a lot to be solved in order to to have this come to fruition fully. But I think we are on the yeah. way there, and that is and that is like you say in a world where we spend so much time in the digital vein, it makes perfect sense to to bring this back. Yeah, definitely, Jonas. What were you going to say? Doesn't matter. Pretty Never much. mind. Thomas covered it. Okay. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's a matter of time, like you said, Thomas. It's a matter of time that. Uh, we start to that more people value, you know, digital ah. digital assets and digital goods. Now I remember what I wanted to say. Basically, I think there's also a huge divide just between the generation that grew up with the smartphone and the one who didn't. I mean, you don't have to explain to any 16-year-old today why a digital item has value. I mean, most of them have have bought a skin on Fortnite or whatnot. Like yeah. to them, this is it's just natural. It doesn't need any explanation of why. I mean, for them, it's also paying for netflix you pay for digital content same story having us having a spotify premium subscription it, it just goes along the same lines so i think this will some 
this is something that will just take a little bit time but it's it's inevitable it's i mean we're already living in this world pretty much i guess if you if you talk to people even of your generation i think you qualify as a gen z jonas no no gen zetter no you're still millennial but then like one of the late the last uh, i'm one of the last millennials i'm like right there on the on the line yeah so so uh, i i mean i guess to you and, and and even and even to me, it is like like I spent of this of my spending. I think t- taking aside like the stuff you have to pay for, like like rent and and insurance and stuff, but just the the money that I spent on things. Digital is by far where I spent the most money, right? I don't I, I don't shop a lot of uh, uh, other stuff, but for for digital goods, I pay a lot because I I use them a lot and I want to I want to I want to use them. But then again, like like I'm exactly at this point where yeah, but I don't own any of this stuff, right? I have the Spotify account and and I pay them a fair amount of money so far in my life. So customer lifetime value wise, I'm pretty good for them. But uh, yeah, I don't have this this uh, collection. And if I want it, I have to on top buy some sort of physical stuff because there is just no digital solution for this, except there is now, it's called NFT, but adaption and the productization of this and the user experiences are just emerging. But that is definitely... I think uh, where we are, where we are moving, and people will be, will be using it. Is, it. And, it, and it luckily, is generational. Yeah. Yeah. Like my mom, yeah. for example, she still is squirrely about giving me her credit or using her credit card online. Like the other day, because my mom lives in Los Angeles, I live in Germany, so like I needed to make a, a a purchase in the states, and I needed a credit card, so she helped me out. And she's like, "Are you sure I should be giving you my credit card?" Like. I don't know about this. This is scary. Like, what if somebody? Maybe she knows it? you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's like, "What are all these Patreon or OnlyFans? What is OnlyFans? Like, nothing, mom. <laughs> Go back to your room." <laughs> but yeah, exactly. it's like she's definitely very, very, very against using you know any type of digital service. Like even Netflix. My mom was like, "Are they like a big company?" I'm like, "Yeah, mom." Netflix is not going to steal your <laughs> as big as it gets, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that is, that that is certainly the case, and and that is why we will also see it shifting. And and there is already a, a, a sizable chunk uh, of the of the living demographic that doesn't ask these questions anymore, like Jonas said. Yeah. So, and and as as the generations use tech more and more. And things like the metaverse become, you know, more prevalent with AI, with VR. It's going to be crazy, man. It's going to be one of those things where you're going to see digital digital items. I mean, the Sword of a Thousand Truths, you know, the, the famous South Park World of Warcraft episode. Like, how much is that going to be worth compared to, you know, a piece of art? You know, maybe more. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah, de- definitely, yeah. and and also, what is art, right? This can then be can, will be redefined as well, and artists are already redefining it. So, so yeah, it's a uh, it's a uh, pretty pretty cool and interesting time we are living in. And and by the way, just a quick teaser um, for for those uh, who are interested in reading, I'm just working on a piece. It's specific to the sports industry, but a piece on. Um, like th- this Gen Z topic we were talking about, and how you can how you can build good digital offerings and and digital products for uh, a 
I call them a mobile native generations, right? Because it's not just Gen Z. I think mobile native, uh, we now have the alpha generation being born already. And uh, yeah. It's Thomas, we have, we have a section in the podcast for plugging stuff. Okay, so you, I'm going to let that one slide, but... <laughs> Thank you for, for tolerating this. <laughs> I might have to cut that out. Nope, kidding. Thanks, guys. Um, I think that was a good episode. Good length, good stuff. Um, I'll put some put some some timestamps in the show notes. If you guys do want to skip some of the uh, regulatory stuff that we talked about, I'll do some. I'll put some timestamps. I'll, I'll I'll write down where you guys can skip to. Um, but for the most part, yeah. Thanks for joining me, guys. Thanks for having us. It was a nice uh, nice episode. And uh, like and subscribe to the podcast, guys. Give us a review. Find us on all of your main podcast streaming uh, services. And uh, yeah. Check out Have the new one. Unify website, Unify yeah. with two Ys. Yeah, uni, like U-N-Y-F-Y dot I-O. Check it out. Exactly. It'll be in the show notes as well.